Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. I do have a question for you, which I've been pondering. Who do you think would win in a fight? Laurie Strode or Sarah, Sarah Connor, Connor. <laughs> with 30 years of prep time. <laughs> wow. Dude, they're both so good with 30 years of prep I time. I know. That's like their thing. <laughs> I mean, Laurie Strode has a basement and a couple guns. I know. Sarah Connor doesn't have a freaking basement. <laughs> but Sarah Connor just shows up out of nowhere in Dark Fate and just like uses a rocket launcher on a car. That's Laurie true. She doesn't does, have, a have a rocket launcher. launcher. You're right. <laughs> no. Yeah, Sarah Connor. Okay, so what are we talking about today? <laughs> We're talking about Halloween. What, just the first one? Just Halloween 1978? That should be easy. Yep, because that's the only one you really need to watch. <laughs> that's, that's true. Just in case anybody hasn't seen any of the Halloween movies, if you've been like living under a rock and never even heard of Michael Myers, the basic plot of Halloween is that there is a child who murdered his sister. And then he basically went to an insane asylum for the rest of his life. He breaks out of the insane asylum as an adult and goes on a rampage. He murders and murders and murders. And the thing he likes to do even more than murdering is watching. Um, he watches mm -hmm. and watches and watches. His psychologist tries to track him down and stop him and in the end manages to stop him. That's the first Halloween movie. All the other Halloween movies are kind of just redoing that. Michael Myers escapes or comes back, goes on a rampage, ends up getting stopped, usually by his psychologist, Dr. Loomis. Sometimes he has a sister, sometimes he has a cousin. You know, they, they switch it up. <laughs> sometimes it's 20 years later and all the other stuff was just a dream. <laughs> other times it's Rob Zombie directing it and everything's different. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's 30 no. years later and all the other stuff was just a dream. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. All right, what are we talking about? What's the theory here? I have a theory. That the true villain of this series is not Michael Myers. It is Dr. Samuel Loomis. What? I believe that he is purely and simply evil. And it was his abuse that created the monster Michael Myers. Making Michael into sort of a modern day Frankenstein's monster who runs away. And Loomis is the Dr. Frankenstein who is coming after him, trying to stop him and destroy him. So no one can see his mistakes. So hold on. I just watched all the Halloween movies except for the Rob Zombie ones. And from what I saw, Dr. Loomis never hurt anybody and constantly tried to stop Michael Myers. That's all he did was try to stop Michael Myers. Right, right. It's going to be kind of hard to paint him as the bad guy. He's kind of like the ultimate superhero of the Michael Myers verse. He does want to stop his monster after he unleashed it, but he's also the person who created it. So he is responsible for the damage that his monster does. Okay. Maybe he's trying to save face. Maybe he actually feels guilty. All I know is that this man basically psychologically abused a seven-year-old child for about 17 years, telling him that he was purely and simply evil and telling everyone else that. And, and he created something that, <laughs> that was purely and simply evil. Like, no matter how you okay. look at it, even if my theory isn't, but it is widely accepted that Dr. Loomis is only marginally more sane than the monster he is trying to kill or capture. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can go with that, definitely. <laughs> I would not hire him as my psychologist. <laughs> I might hire him no. as like my body 
bodyguard. He's 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 a bit of a badass. Yeah, for like a portly old man. Yeah. <laughs> the dude is just about as invincible as Michael himself. Dr. Loomis is absolutely unkillable. He survives all the same things as Michael In Myers In many cases, does. worse. Like at the end of Halloween 2, that explosion mm-hmm. is like yeah. so much closer to it's him like than it is to Michael. In his face. <laughs> And, and he, he gets, gets a tiny a burn, burn. <laughs> which like just kind of goes away as that mm-hmm. little trilogy progresses. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't feel like putting on the makeup. <laughs> You're you might be more describing like more of a, a self fulfilling prophecy here. Like maybe Loomis wasn't trying to create a monster, but he was trying to counsel a troubled boy. And his version of counseling created a monster out of a troubled boy. I believe that his version of counseling, whether it was in good intention or not, I kind of believe it was not, was a form of psychological abuse that turned Michael into a monster. And I don't believe that he was ever, at least in the first film, purely and simply evil. I think he was a nuanced human who became purely and simply evil because of the evil man who treated him. Okay. I think he's a fun character to explore. Well, and for the record, we are not going to look at or discuss the Rob Zombie films. We are going with the, I guess you could call it main line. There is no main line, but... <laughs> Let me talk our listeners through this, because it gets a little wonky if you start to look at the timeline. So first, we have Halloween 1 and 2. This starts the original timeline. Then we have Halloween 3, which is a new timeline. <laughs> um, oh, right, right. A timeline in which all the other Halloween movies exist as a fictional property (laughs) because you see a trailer for the original Halloween movie on TV in Halloween 3. Right. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It's completely in its own continuity. Then we have 4, 5, and 6. Those go along with 1 and 2 in the same continuity. But then they reboot the entire series back to follow Halloween 2. And they came out with H2O. H20. No, I'll always call it H2O. I know, that's what it looks like. H2O. (laughs) So that one is followed by Halloween Resurrection. And then there's Halloween 2007. It's a remake of Halloween 1. It's followed by Halloween 2, 2009. They just ignore everything. (laughs) Those are the Rob Zombie. And then we have Halloween 2018, which rebooted the entire series again, back to follow the original Halloween number one. Where does your theory fall into this uh, continuity mess? My theory has to do with all of them, because I believe that Loomis is a character who manifests in all of these alternate realities. And in each one, he is just as evil as the last one. Okay. (laughs) But I believe we'll spend the most time on the first Halloween, because, of course, that's where he started. And that is the best one. Michael Myers killed his sister. And then he went to rehabilitation in an insane asylum just forever. Is there any evidence that he was meeting Dr. Loomis before he murdered his sister? Because it seems to me like they only met after. Yes, I do believe they only met after. No, so I do believe that at the very beginning, that young Michael is a young, possibly disturbed boy who kills his sister for reasons that we don't know. I don't think that makes him pure evil. So you're not trying to say that Michael was never a bad person and that he doesn't have Right, problems. well, I mean, a seven-year-old murders someone. Obviously, that's not good. But, like, is that person evil? Like, he's seven years old. I don't know why he did it. But, you know, he, he probably messed up for some reason. And I, I don't know why. 
after Michael kills his sister, if you look at that kid's face, he looks genuinely disturbed and traumatized. Like Maybe he didn't know what was going to happen. He doesn't look like blank, black-eyed, evil stare. There's no humanity behind. He looks like there's plenty of humanity behind his eyes, right? Like, it's, this isn't the person that Loomis describes when Loomis is describing meeting him as a child. He says mm-hmm. that there was nothing left, like, when he first met him, which clearly isn't true. Do you think there's any meaning in him being dressed as a clown? He likes full body suits and he likes masks. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was where the only full body suit and mask you could find. I get it. <laughs> I think that Michael is very interesting in the first one. He's an interesting character. Oh, yeah. He's great. He's not super strong, like as he is in many of the later ones. He's just a no, guy just who kills guy. people. Mm-hmm. He even seems to have some psychological issues rather than just being like a killing machine as he is in the later ones. Like right. the boyfriend wears that clown mask and he takes that clown mask to kill his sister. And he seems to have these strange issues with sex. Every single female that he kills in the first one is like thinking about having sex <laughs> or, right. you know, going to have sex Laurie or something like that. that's why Laurie didn't get killed because she never had the chance to have sex. Yeah. <laughs> Though he does try to kill her. <laughs> oh, no. I think he's an interesting character because, to me, it feels like there's a backstory there that is more than just purely yeah. and simply evil. And that's really cool. Because even though you never find out what it is, it makes you wonder. Well, and I like that clearly he is a person with, like, actual issues. And his psychologist, like, constantly is just brushing it away. Just being like, he is <laughs> evil. <laughs> Don't even consider him more yeah, than right. that. Lewis like, is just like... I didn't even want to try. <laughs> no, yeah, we're first introduced with Loomis. He's driving up to the uh, insane asylum with... Um... Yes, he's there with Nurse Marion Chambers, played by Nancy Stevens. She was in Halloween 1. She returns in Halloween 2. She also gets killed in the very beginning of H2O, right after Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets killed. Oh, that was her. Wow. (laughs) That was her. Still played by Nancy Stevens. And she will be returning in Halloween Kills. What? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Still played by Nancy Stevens. (laughs) So their whole drive up to the insane asylum, they're like arguing. Loomis suggests that they inject Michael, who again is a mentally ill person who suffers from mutism. Like it's an actual psychological issue. He suggests that they give him Thorazine. The nurse, she seems really surprised at this. And she's like, he'll barely be able to sit up. And Loomis says, that's the idea. And she says, you actually never want him to get out in response to that's the idea. And that's when he goes, never, 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 never. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, let's unpack this conversation. What this means is that Loomis is only taking Michael before a judge because it's the law, but he is planning on drugging him up for the sole purpose that Michael won't be able to do anything or seem sane. So they won't let him go. You're saying that he was planning to sabotage this whole trip to the judge? Yes, 100%. Loomis was trying to essentially sabotage any chance that Michael Myers might be found sane enough to leave. And the nurse is clearly surprised and shocked by this. And the reason he wanted to do this is to keep Myers here so he could keep turning him more evil? <laughs> well, I don't know that his, his goal at this point is to turn him more evil. When he says, I spent the first seven years trying to reach him, I think what happened is he spent the first seven years 
perhaps on purpose, screwing perhaps on accident, <laughs> screwing him up. And now he's trying to make sure he never gets out because Loomis yeah, knows that it. he's responsible he for making him into such a weirdo monster. And that's why okay. when Michael escapes, he's like, he's gone. <laughs> he's gone from here. The evil is gone. <laughs> the evil is gone. <laughs> <laughs> what if Loomis is just a very descriptive flowery talker <laughs> like when someone brings him a cup of coffee in the morning he says the goodness has arrived <laughs> and then takes a sip <laughs> wow dude i actually wouldn't even be a little surprised if that's how he reacted to his coffee in the morning <laughs> exactly there you go so when he calls myers the evil it's i just... still don't think that excuses him from completely dehumanizing his patient to literally everyone he meets that's all he ever talks about but also he's on the trail of a murderer right like I know. he shouldn't be talking about other stuff right now <laughs> it'd be weird if he was like hey so you want to go golfing <laughs> i used to be a film archivist and i've listened to john carpenter kind of tell his own story going through all of the movies he ever made which was really cool and dude that is cool one of the stories that he tells often about halloween is just that when he was in college he went on some sort of field trip to a psychiatric institution and he walked past a patient who to him just looked deranged like he looked into his eyes and he felt like there was no humanity left in whoever this person was he has said that he recognizes that person was just mentally ill but to him at that time he thought that was a cool idea that there could just be someone who just is evil and there's just no humanity left in him i appreciate john carpenter's abilities as a director and i gotta admit the setup for this movie is great. It's fantastic. Like, it's a little campy, a little over the top, but also, like, very, very good at just establishing that Michael Myers, this man, has killed, wants to kill, is evil, <laughs> has no humanity in him, and now he's loose, <laughs> right? Like, it's a really good start to the movie. And I also want to say that Donald Pleasance is a very good actor. He's the one who plays Dr. Oh, yeah. Samuel Loomis. And before the Halloween franchise, which is ostensibly what he became known for, he was actually known as someone who played villains. Oh. John Carpenter cast a man who was known for playing villains as his quote-unquote hero. Okay. If you think, well, maybe John Carpenter just cast Donald Pleasance because he's a good actor and not because there was any meta reason for, you know, him being a villain before. John Carpenter had more meta reasons behind a lot of his casting choices, specifically Jamie Lee Curtis. By the way, Jamie Lee Curtis is the daughter of Janet Lee and Tony Curtis, both legendary actors from the golden age of Hollywood. Now, Tony Curtis, okay. we're not going to focus on. He was most famous as one of the main characters alongside Jack Lemmon and Marilyn Monroe in Some Like It Hot. Okay. Janet Lee was the very first Scream Queen. Her most famous role is Marion Crane in Hitchcock's Psycho. She is the woman ah. who seems like she's the main character for the first half of the film, dies. then <laughs> dies in the famous shower sequence. That's cool. I didn't know that. And so he cast her daughter as his Scream Queen. And Jamie Lee Curtis became like the next Scream Queen during the 80s. She was in so many random horror movies. So do you think he was trying to fake out the audience to think, oh, she's going to die. Her mom was famous for dying. Now she's going to die. Like, if you did know her history, not necessarily that anyone did. Like, she wasn't a well-known actor. This was her first role, really. But, like, you know, he wants you to feel that if you know that, there's an added layer of, like, fear. Like, oh, man, she's going to die from that slasher. Just like her mom died from a slasher, basically. And maybe for that same reason, he cast Donald Pleasance, who was known for playing villains. So we're on edge. We're like, ooh, that guy's not so good. Well, not just a slasher, though. A psycho. 
right? Like that's specifically what Michael Myers is. He is a psychopath. He's just a person who's killing because he's deranged. Right. So Marion Crane, the character from Psycho, her boyfriend, who she is trying to meet up with to like use her stolen money or whatever, is named Sam Loomis. What? <laughs> wow. So in the book, Sam Loomis is actually the one at the end who gives kind of the psychological breakdown of why Norman Bates did what he did. In the movie, it's like some random psychiatrist who does it. But I think that was like John Carpenter just taking the name for his psychiatrist of the person yeah. who tells us what the psychosis of Norman Bates is. But he's kind That's of doing cool. the exact opposite. Because one of the funny things about Psycho is that it's just a whole bunch of psychobabble oh, he just created this alternate persona and he thought he was his mother because of this, 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 blah, blah, blah. This is what caused the blah, 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 blah. This is why he was so messed up. And then John Carpenter does the exact opposite with his Sam Loomis, which is, he is evil. He always was. The Nothing caused eyes. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pure and simple, dude. Just evil. If nothing else, it's a callback, right? Or like a little Easter egg there. Just for my own personal sanity, I have to ask you, in the first Halloween movie, why is Michael so obsessed with Lori? When he first sees her, I believe it is when she goes to drop off the key at the old Myers place. Perhaps he did somehow associate her with his sister. She kind of has the same hair color as his sister, and she's going over to the Myers place. And then this is actually cool, because in this one, Michael Myers has an M.O., he doesn't kill everyone he meets as he would later, but he specifically picks out Lori and then decides he wants to kill her two friends and like put them in a place that she'll find their bodies. Yeah, <laughs> and, he does a very, <laughs> he does a good job of it. <laughs> and then he wants to kill her too. And I love that about this movie. And I also really like that about the video game Dead by Daylight. They've done a really good job of reaching out to every horror franchise ever in existence yeah. and getting them all in their video game, which is cool and fun. I like what they did with the Michael Myers character. If you play as him, his thing is that he like charges up his power by staring at the other players <laughs> from a distance. So you have to just wow. sneak around the map and stare at them. <laughs> and as you stare at them, if you stare at them long enough, the song will start to play for them. <laughs> like for the one you're staring wow. at, they'll sit here like... That's pretty good. It's really cool. I thought yeah. that was a really cool callback to the very first Halloween because he never stares at people in all the other Halloweens. He no, doesn't do it really. anymore. And that's so sad. That's the coolest thing about him. He just stares. Right. And he's not <laughs> hiding. He's just, he's out right. there staring at you. And then when you right. look again, he hides. <laughs> but. The other interpretation for why he might have picked Laurie Strode, if you're going with the, the normal, like he is just purely and simply evil, that she's just every person, right? Like she's, she's a normal teenage girl right and so that's okay. just what makes it scary that he just picked her and he's evil and there's no reason why but he picked her I and understand. he's gonna kill her friends and freak her out i get it after michael has escaped and he's kind of prowling around there's a scene where loomis walks out of the hospital arguing with another hospital official and he says two roadblocks and an all points bulletin wouldn't stop a five-year-old <laughs> He's really got it Whoa. in for five-year-olds, doesn't he? Yeah, he doesn't like kids. And then the person oh, he's talking goodness. to is like, he won't make it to Haddonfield. He can't drive a car. And Loomis says, he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him a lesson. I think Loomis was giving him driving lessons. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and that's another thing that he doesn't want. <laughs> he doesn't want getting out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, someone did. I don't know who was. <laughs> no, no, he's got to mention no it. No one was even wondering so about that until he mentioned it. <laughs> so he can, he can push the blame off onto just someone else. There's probably someone else. You know, if he says it first, it couldn't have been him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Well, that's okay. That's, that's pretty good. But like that it. is a question too. Like, you, if you don't believe that Loomis gave him lessons, who did? Like, Mike does a lot of driving throughout this series. Yeah, he likes to drive. One thing about John Carpenter that we will get into right now is that he has said that many of his films were based on German expressionism, which in a lot of those paintings they just showed like these wide, almost landscapes. He loves wide landscapes. <laughs> Everything in the frame is important. And as Loomis has a conversation with this person as they walk out of the hospital, Loomis says all of this as he gets into his BMW, which is parked in a handicapped parking spot. Oh, they are, Loomis. They are purposefully scumbag. painting Loomis in a bad light as someone oh who gosh. hurts people with handicaps. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he is handicapped. No, I, I don't think he has any handicap. He doesn't have any like sign hanging up in his car that I've seen. No, uh, he shouldn't be in a handicap. I believe they're trying to tell us <laughs> something, that this is a man who doesn't really care for what's good for people with handicaps, like mental handicaps, like Michael Myers. Well, I never thought you'd go all the way from German expressionist paintings to that. <laughs> a man parked in a handicap spot. That was a good, <laughs> pretty good connection you drew there. <laughs> pretty good. All right, all right. So next, Lori is sitting in class. And the teacher is saying, what Samuels is really talking about here is fate. You see, fate caught up with several lives here. No matter what course of action Collins took, he was destined to his own fate, his own day of reckoning with himself. The idea is that destiny is a very real, concrete thing that every person has to deal with. There's a callback to that in Halloween 2018. Sure, yeah. And then she looks out the window, and instead of Michael Myers staring at her, it's Laurie. <laughs> cool callback. But what the teacher is reading here, the author and the book and everything she's describing are completely fictional, created for this film. So it's not like he just took some random passage, like John Carpenter made this up, whatever it is. So it must be important. He's saying that there is a destiny. Let, let's look at this. The fake author's name is Samuels. Dr. Loomis's full name is Dr. Samuel oh, Loomis. Samuel Loomis. <laughs> Basically, what this teacher is saying is that the author, Samuels, wrote the fate of a character named Collins. Collins' end was inevitable because of Samuels, the author. Much in the same way that Dr. Samuel Loomis has written the fate of Michael Myers, by calling him evil and reinforcing this for so many years, he has created an unavoidable fate of being a monster for Michael Myers. Oh, man. <laughs> that is too good. And as the teacher is reading all of this, talking about Samuels creating the fate of Collins, Laurie is looking out the window at Michael. I didn't pay so much attention to this scene. I was more just, you know, watching, thinking like, hey, whoa, there's Michael. He's staring at her. <laughs> um, so Annie and Linda are walking home with Laurie. Michael drives by in the car, staring at them. He's driving by very, very slow. And Annie calls out to him, speed kills, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the weirdest thing to call out to this But she guy. knows it was ridiculous because when Michael stops, she's like, what, he can't take a joke? He has no sense of humor? Well, I thought that he drove past them slowly, but then kind of sped away. Even when he speeds away, though, he's going pretty slow. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another random bit of trivia. So... Annie picks up Lori and 
the song that is playing on the radio when Laurie gets into the car. It's a song by a band called the Coupe de Villes, and the members of the band include John Carpenter, who is the director, uh-huh. <laughs> Nick Castle, who is the guy wearing the Michael Myers mask, and Tommy One Lee Wallace. Too, yeah. <laughs> wow. The Coupe de Villes also later did the theme to Big Trouble in Little China, but of course, John Carpenter does all the music for all his movies, so. <laughs> Isn't his own personal production company is called like the Grand Something Orchestra or something? Yeah, he gives him like some orchestra name for this film in the credits, but it was just him who did the whole score. Around this point, we find out that Michael Myers took the headstone of his dead sister from the graveyard. And this is just one other fun thing that I think implies there is more to him than just pure evil. There's more going on in there than just kill everything I see. Like, Yeah, he certainly doesn't do anything like this later. And then later he puts that headstone behind dead Linda in bed after he mm-hmm. strangles her. Like, I, like yeah. something's going on here. And that's really cool. I don't know what it is, but it's really interesting. And it's more than what Loomis keeps trying to convince us it is. Yeah, he's not just purely and simply evil. <laughs> in this movie, even though this is like the first slasher and Laurie Strode is this perfect little good girl and that's why she survives, she actually does do drugs. Like <laughs> she smokes a joint with Annie in the car. Wow, and then they pull right up next to her dad of all people. Yeah, the, her dad <laughs> oh, no. who is the sheriff, Sheriff Brackett. Yes, the sheriff, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it because this is like establishing how police work in slashes. Right, no, <laughs> it's like time. strangely prophetic. Her dad is like, man, there's Yo, these people. There's someone broke into this door and stole knives and rope. It must be kids. <laughs> someone is prank. clearly planning on murdering <laughs> someone. <laughs> they oh stole a mask gosh. and knives and rope. Yeah, Those are the three. In a row. Dang, teenage kids pulling pranks. Annie says, you blame everything on kids, which is just like a cool prophetic line about how <laughs> all slashes, slashes are going to work from now on. <laughs> it's always those dang kids. In this same shot where they meet Sheriff Brackett, I just love this shot. And of course, Carpenter does a lot of these throughout, but I like this one especially. This is when Loomis first shows up and meets Sheriff Brackett. And it's just amazing how Michael is just in the background the whole time in his car, just waiting at the intersection. He's there during their whole conversation and you have like no idea. And then he just turns left and drives past and you like almost don't even notice him unless you're looking and you can kind of see his white face in the car. (laughs) It's just a really cool shot. He likes watching. So they go to the Myers house where Michael apparently ate a dog. Yeah. Oh. We don't know if he did. That is just what Loomis says. <laughs> they find a dead dog and Loomis says, he got hungry. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> true. Yeah. He really hates this guy. <laughs> but we don't get to see the dog. We don't know how eaten it is. But Sheriff Brackett doesn't believe Loomis. So it must not necessarily be totally obvious that this was like eaten by a human. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone throws a rock through the window and Loomis on a hair trigger just pulls out a gun. And then he kind of gives Sheriff Brackett an awkward look and he's like, you must think me a very sinister doctor. Oh, uh, I do have a permit. I do think him a very sinister doctor. Yeah. And that's when he goes into his whole, I met him 15 years ago. I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. 
Now, is it any coincidence that Michael Myers chooses to dress up exactly in the way that Dr. Loomis describes him with a blank mm-hmm. pale face blank and pale black eyes? Black eyes, <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, he has clearly internalized he's everything. This is how he looks. <laughs> right. He's internalized everything over this doctor has said about him over the past like 17 mm-hmm. years. He's just recreating what Loomis created in him. <laughs> Which makes sense. That's what you do when your psychologist tells you stuff. Then he tells Sheriff Brackett not to tell the news in the radio, which I think is more about saving face for himself, just not wanting it to get out that his patient... He's like, oh, geez, he people are going to know my patient escaped. <laughs> Everyone's going to be slandering my name all over the town. Right. And if, if the word did get out, you would bet that Loomis would probably go on TV just to be like, hey, when I met him, he was purely and simply he evil. He had the blackest, <laughs> blackest eyes, eyes. And palest face. And he was evil. He does love telling people that. It's like his favorite thing. So Lori's taking care of Tommy Doyle and she seems really just like disgusted by his choice in comics. Laser man, neutron man, tarantula man. Like she can understand why he has to hide these from his mother like they're porn or something. (laughs) Disgusting comics. They sound pretty innocuous to me. I don't know. Laser man. (laughs) Dude, laser man. Annie and Lori are on the phone. And when Annie says she's about to be ripped apart by the family dog, which is just barking because Michael is nearby, there's this Mm -hmm. really weird, just quick cutback to Lori where she's just standing there kind of giggling and awkwardly playing with her hair for like a half second. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that shot. shot. For some reason, Annie decides she needs to strip naked because she spilled a little bit of butter on her pants and overshirt. Not even her undershirt. Yeah, (laughs) She has to strip completely naked in someone else's house. She also hears the dog squeal in pain as it is being murdered and just assumes he found a hot date who I guess killed him. Yeah, he found a hot date. (laughs) Dude, you've clearly never had a hot date. (laughs) I noticed while watching this that there's like a lot of shots from the thing on tv and i was like whoa john carpenter made the thing but then i'm like wait this came out before the thing they are watching the thing from another world which was the original film that john carpenter remade into the thing just a couple years after so laurie and tommy are watching the thing from another world now they are watching the very beginning the credits and they are sitting there in absolute suspense. <laughs> like oh, yeah. Lori, Lori can barely even <laughs> respond to the kid because these credits are <laughs> yeah. so engrossing. And let me so tell you, I've it. watched the beginning of the thing from another world, and those credits go on for a while. <laughs> I mean, so. No, this is a subliminal plant by John Carpenter to be like appreciate the crew, appreciate the director, watch the credits. <laughs> All right, all right. So so Annie dies in a car. She gets strangled in a car. And after Annie's death is when Loomis is doing what he does best, traumatizing kids. <laughs> he, like, took the time to stop and prank some little kids. <laughs> Just wanted to scare the crap out of them. <laughs> you. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think this gives us some insight into his methods, right? Like, that's how he deals with kids. He He's not honest kids. with them. He's not open with them. He wants to scare them and control them. Sheriff Brackett shows up. He's like, I've watched him for 15 years, waiting for this night, waiting for some secret silent alarm to trigger him off. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. 
And the sheriff responds, if you are right, damn you for letting him go. Uh-oh, that's like his worst nightmare. Now, Lindsay is the little girl that Annie was babysitting. Linda arrives at Lindsay's house with her boyfriend. I think his name is Bob. I don't like Bob. Interesting about Bob's death, he suspends him from a wooden door with just a kitchen knife, which I don't think you can do. But he suspends lots of people from I lots of know. things with just a kitchen knife. That's he does kind that. of one of his powers. Linda's death. So Michael comes in dressed as a ghost. And Linda, who is still naked, says, you like what you see? Now, I want to point out, Michael probably can't see anything. No, he can't see a thing. He's got two masks on. Well, he's got a mask and a sheet, and he's wearing Bob's prescription glasses. And he's looking through two oh, holes no, in a sheet. Right. He's, <laughs> and he's got, got a mask on. Masks and glasses. <laughs> Michael can't see a thing right now. <laughs> Michael is just putting the, He probably thinks he's being so funny right here. He's like, oh man, I'm going to put on this sheet over my mask and I'm going to put on some glasses. <laughs> no, that's good because it actually shows that whatever Michael is trying to do or accomplish in his sick twisted mind he has a sense of humor <laughs> like why would he do this right and this scene has always struck me as odd because again i saw a lot of the later halloween movies before this one mm-hmm. this is just so not in keeping with the personality that michael has at least later on but it's very much in keeping with john carpenter's michael who really does just like to mess with people in weird ways without speaking mm-hmm. So, Lori decides to walk across the street and discovers the bodies. In an archival interview, Jamie Lee Curtis tells the story, and she asked John Carpenter, because she's like, why am I going across the street right now? There's no reason for this. That's a stupid thing for me to do. And Carpenter said to her, it doesn't matter if it makes sense. This scene is here purely for that moment when the audience all lean forward and shouts at the screen, don't Don't go go in there. there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I will say here that this is actually one of the few times that Laurie Strode's actions do make sense because she tried to call her friend Annie and Annie didn't answer. Yeah. And she's babysitting Lindsay right now. And also, she doesn't know there's a killer yet. So it actually makes perfect sense, I think, for her to go across the street. But this could explain many of the other actions she takes later that make zero sense. Like, don't sit there with your back to the killer. Don't drop the knife. But it's all there for John Carpenter because he knows we're going to be yelling that at her. (laughs) Either way, she knows her friends are dead and there's a murderer chasing her. The neighbors are home. She pounds Mm -hmm. on their door. They see her through the window and they're like, meh. Yeah, <laughs> they don't care. They yeah. don't give a crap. She knows this is bad. Like her friends are actually massacred, and there's a murderer steps away from her. She brings the murderer home to the kids <laughs> she's babysitting. What on earth are you doing, Lori? Well, you, you gotta understand. <laughs> That's the worst place you could bring this murderer. This is this is Lori Strode, and this is OG Lori Strode, not some lame 2018 Lori Strode. Nothing she does makes like <laughs> logical sense. Like she's just like insane with panic and is constantly fluctuating between total panic and just completely catatonic. <laughs> yeah, she does that a lot. Either way. She stabs him with a knitting needle in the throat. She gets him good. And he's pretty much unfazed by this. Like he lays down for a bit and then he's like, I'm okay. He sits <laughs> Which up. Yep. I, I think is kind of points for like him having been supernatural all along. Cause that's not just like a shrug it off kind of injury. That's like, oh my gosh, you punctured my throat. I need to go. Right. But either way, after doing it, she's like, 
hey, I'm going to sit on the couch with my back to him for a long time. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here with my back to the dead murderer. Just sitting here on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, she's so good at sitting there. <laughs> and she does that again, like a couple minutes yep, later. she does it again, just a few <laughs> exact minutes later. same thing. Right after she manages to kill him again, she stabs him in the eye. All she needs to do is not stand there with her back to him. <laughs> That's the only thing she needs to do. But at the same time, you're on the edge of your seat. So like, it totally works. <laughs> As all this is going on and Mike manages to cheat death twice to this uh, teenage girl who keeps stabbing him with things. Man, Michael Myers must have been so surprised to see his psychologist suddenly standing there with a gun. <laughs> like he's, he must have been like, what? What the heck? What are you doing here, Loomis? One of the favorite mazes that I went to at Universal's Halloween Horror Nights was when they did the Halloween maze. And they knew going into making this maze, all we've got here is Michael Myers. And so you're walking through different rooms and it's like, oh, there's Michael Myers. Oh, another room, there's Michael Myers. And then there just keeps yeah, being like, again. like more and more Michael Myers until the second to last room. You walk through a room that is literally just like hundreds of lined up Michael Myers. Oh, that's really good. And it. some of them are fake. <laughs> like so some good. of them are mannequins, but some of them are real. Like jump out at you. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> and then the very last room is that that bedroom in the first movie. And it's just Loomis, Loomis. in one corner with, <laughs> yes. with Michael like slowly walking toward him. And he's just shooting over and over again <laughs> oh, as he slowly, no. like each shot drives Michael back one or two steps until finally he drives Michael back to the other side of the room. And he's like, go, get out. I'll hold him off. Oh, <laughs> but if you stay there, they just keep doing that over and over again. <laughs> so is the next room after Dr. Loomis holds off animatronic michael myers no it's not animatronic it's an actor <laughs> oh it's an actor they're just doing the same thing Even over better. and over again on a loop but they're, they're totally real that sounds like fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> i would love to get paid for that no is is the next room full of dr loomis's <laughs> just like the <laughs> previous room was full I of wish. michael myers no unfortunately when he tells you to get out you just walk out and that's the end of the maze <laughs> so wait 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 so she stabs his eye with a coat hanger and then later on, when she's fighting with him in the hallway, she pulls off his mask for a brief second. And you just see his face for just a moment. And people came up to John Carpenter afterward. They were like, oh, he was so hideous. He was so deformed. That was the scariest part of the movie. And John Carpenter has used this to say, like, that's the power of suggestion, right? Like, because the guy who played him was just a normal guy. He wasn't hideous or deformed, right? He was just a guy. So like, that's what uh, they, because they only saw him for a second. That's what they imagined. But <laughs> I would disagree with John Carpenter. He has a bunch of prosthetics on his eye. He is literally disfigured when she pulls off his face mask. Right, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think it's the power well, of suggestion. Go. She pulls off his face mask to a strange looking disfigured man. <laughs> well, they finally take him out. At the very end, we get the line. Where Laurie Strode says, it was the boogeyman. And Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. <laughs> Having watched it and appreciated it, I truly think that Halloween is the perfect Halloween movie. It's fun. It's got some like teenage nostalgia kind of stuff going on. In it. It's not overly gory, but it is very tense. Right. Exactly. If you're going to yeah, watch yeah. a movie this Halloween, you should turn it on. I like Halloween one. 
All right, it's been really fun discussing the Halloween films so far, but that just about covers us for part one of our Super Halloween special. Make sure to catch us next week for part two, where we will cover the rest of the Halloween series and prove, once and for all, that Dr. Loomis is purely and simply evil. It's all downhill from here. So happy Halloween, everyone. Go ahead and watch the Halloween movie with our theory in mind and uh, let us know what you think. Music for this episode was provided by Christine. And if you like our podcast, leave us a review. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, at Popcorn Isn't Real. Tell your friends about us if you believe our theory. Let them know. And remember, the popcorn isn't real.